Uh, and uh, if you are interested, if you're watching online or whatever, uh, you can check out Treehouse. Just Google Treehouse Hope, uh, and you can find their, their information online as well. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into the message. God, thank you so much that you know us, that you love us, that you've called us uh, to something greater than ourselves. God, I thank you for ministries that we get to partner with, like Treehouse or uh, Converge, uh, uh, Converge Worldwide, that we can uh, send this money to go and, and support our, our ministry partners uh, and our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine. God, I just pray uh, for our world. I pray uh, in the brokenness, in the mess, in the hard things, in the difficult things, God, that you would shine. In the darkness, your light shines brighter. And so, God, we just ask that you would shine uh, in our hearts, shine in the hearts of all of your, your believers, God, so that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, we're in the middle of a series called The Scarlet Thread, and I don't know if you're like me, but I've uh, found this study to be super impactful. The opportunity to, like, slow down and begin to look at the Bible, and we've been looking at just in Genesis, and seeing the, the gospel thread, or the scarlet thread, all throughout Scripture that just constantly brings us back to Jesus. And I know for me, growing up, oftentimes I thought the Bible was just like this, this compilation of books, which it is, but when we really take a second to step back and kind of just look at Scripture, and all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it, you begin to see this thread that goes all throughout and it shares this overarching single story that weaves all the way through all 66 books of the Bible. And yes, there's little bits and uh, stories here and there and, and everything like that, but it's this story of God and it's the story of his redemption of his people. And, and uh, I see this intentionality that God has and, and, and how he, he wove scripture together and it causes me to want to worship God, right? And we've been, we've been going over the last few weeks, we talked about Adam and Eve and the serpent and how it's this picture of Jesus coming and, and it says the snake will, will strike his heel but he will crush his head and it's just this picture that we begin to see Jesus all the way back at the beginning of Genesis and then animal skins where we see uh, this, this like God clothing us in his righteousness and making a way when there seems to be no way and then the creation story and Noah's Ark and Tower of Babel, and how in all of these stories, we see this thread that brings us back to Jesus. And as a church, that's what we want to be about, bringing people to Jesus. And so on the preaching calendar this week, uh, I had, had kind of lined up that Pastor Brent had asked me to preach on uh, the, the life of Joseph. And uh, I gave Brent and Josh a hard time, and I joked with them, because last week, Brent taught on the, the, uh, the Tower of Babel, which is, is nine verses, and they gave me 13 chapters. <laughs> and I'm like, I already talk enough. You're giving me 13 chapters? So if you have lunch plans, you may want to cancel them. Uh, because we're going to go Genesis 37 through 50. Uh, and they gave me 35 minutes to do it. So buckle up. But as I started reading and started studying uh, to speak on Joseph, I remember reading the story and I, was, I went around and I was reading the context around uh, all of uh, th this portion of scripture. And I don't know if you guys are like me and you've ever wrestled with the messiness of the Bible. You're like, this is going to be heresy. Back up. Okay. But you're like, you read the Bible sometimes and you're like, this is so messy. Why is that in there? Like what? A talking donkey? What? Like, you, you read the Bible, and you're like, I don't understand. There's, there's this messiness, and I read it, and I was like, what in the world? Why is this in the Bible? It's full of broken people doing stupid things, hurting people, killing people, and it's just messy. The Bible's messy. Can we agree? Or are we just not reading it? <laughs> Sometimes that is the easier thing. Like, oh, this is kind of messy. I think I'm just going to go to the New Testament, right? 
especially the Old Testament. It's messy. Why are these things in the Bible? And as I was wrestling through this this week and reading the story of Joseph, I came across this passage that I was like, what, this, okay, this is weird. This doesn't make sense. This is a little off, right? And so the story of Joseph opens up in Genesis chapter 37. And it's Joseph, he's introduced, and there's this dream, and we're introduced to Joseph, who is the youngest of his brothers. And it says that he is loved by his father more than his brothers. Now, I'm a middle child, and I always have this deep-seated fear that, like, my parents love my siblings more than, like, me. And, like, but in this case, like, they knew. Like, could you imagine? Right? And then, of course, like, we're surprised, like, reading the Bible, and it's like his father loved him more than his brothers, and his brothers didn't like it. Like, we're surprised by that sometimes. It says, Joseph's brothers hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. But Reuben, the oldest, convinces them to only sell, them, sell him into slavery. Like, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just make a little money on him. So they throw him in a pit. They sell him to these traders, and then they go off, right? And then they go back to their father, and they're like, Dad, he got eaten by a wild animal. And his dad is broken. He's distraught. And then... Then, what seems out of place, (laughs) I might get in trouble for sharing this story. We come to Genesis chapter 38, and we come to Judah and Tamar. And you're like, okay, we were just talking about Joseph, and now we come into Judah and Tamar. And I begin to read, and I go, okay, why in the world is this story in there, much less in the Bible at all? And this is the portion of the story where we move from PG to PG-13, or as I like to call it, the HBO special. Ever been reading the Bible and you're like, this was not in the History Channel one, right? We come across the story of Judah and Tamar. And so after, uh, it says after this time, Judah moves out from his parents' house. He gets married. He plays checkers, has some kids. Uh, Nobody caught that? Okay. (laughs) Has some kids. And it says his kids are awful. Like so bad. Like, like, listen, I have some insecurities about my parenting. Like, But I'm not too worried about my kids getting struck dead, right? It says Judah, his kids, they were so bad that he was so wicked, his son Ur, that he just struck him dead. And then in that time, what happens was is the the, the next brother would actually go, and and Ur had a wife named Tamar, and uh, they didn't have any kids. And so in order to carry on Ur's line, uh, Judah looks at his son and says, hey, you got to marry your brother's wife and you got to have a kid play checkers have a kid uh and then go on and and carry on his name but then his son onan was like nope not gonna do that and so he just go read it uh did things and then uh god was upset with that and so he struck him dead and then he had a third son uh, that wasn't old enough to be married yet. And so he said to Tamar, Judah looked at Tamar because it was his responsibility to care for his daughter-in-law. He looks at Tamar and says, hey, when my son is old enough, I will come get you. But you go and be with your, your family right now and, and I'll come get you. But he had no intention of doing it because he was wicked. He was evil. He had no intention of giving his son to Tamar. He just wanted to not deal with her, just like cast off the widow and, and not deal with it. And this is his wife died, and he went on down to Timnah, and uh, as he was going, he was feeling a little lonely, and he saw this woman who was dressed up in the shrine prostitute outfit type thing, and he went and played checkers with her. And then he was like, how, how do I know what you're going to pay me? And there was a goat involved and, and a staff and, and all this kind of different stuff. And then Judah found out that Tamar was pregnant because Tamar was the woman who had dressed up like a shrine prostitute uh, in order to carry on her, her like, line to be able to be cared for. 
just weird, like just awkward to read. And then all of a sudden Judah's like, Tamar's pregnant. Okay, let's burn her because she's wicked. And then it comes out that he's actually the father. And he's like, wow, she's more righteous than I. I'm a wicked man. And I'm just sitting here going, this is in the Bible? What in the world? Why is this in the Bible? Like, especially in the story of Joseph, it's like, Joseph, his brothers hated him. And then Judah, ugh. Like, what? What's going on? But if we look at it and we actually see it matches up perfectly with the story and the message all throughout the Bible. What is the point of this right in the middle of the story? It may feel out of place, but it matches up. And so I can't just simply share the story of Joseph. I had to go back and look at the amazing way that even in the mess, even in the brokenness, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Amen? I had to go all the way back to Abraham. So rather than 13 chapters, we now need to run through Genesis 12 through 50. So in the time that we have left, we're going to cover 38 chapters. Buckle up. Here we go. We're going to go on a journey, and we're going to look at the faithfulness of God and see his plan for salvation. Before we can understand the story of Judah and Tamar or even the story of Joseph, we have to pull on the biggest thread all throughout all of the Old Testament, all throughout all of Scripture. And it starts with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 through 23, we meet Abraham. And Abraham is this man that God calls to come out of where he came from and to go into a place. He had to step out in faith. And then God promised him that he would be a father of many nations. And through him, he would be a blessing. He would be a blessing to the whole world. And we begin to see this foreshadowing that through Abraham, he would be a blessing to the whole world. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus in our world. But here's the thing. In order to be a father of many nations, you have to have kids. But Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were unable to have kids. And they, it says, the Bible says that they were getting old. And so rather than trusting that God would make a way where there seemed to be no way, Abraham's wife convinces Abraham to play checkers with his servant Hagar. And thinking he could do things himself. Thinking that, that he was, had to be responsible to take and, and do whatever. It had to be in his own strength, in his own power, in his own way. And he has a son named Ishmael. But God says, that's not how I operate. And in their old age, I love this, in their old age, God intervened. He stepped in and he provided a way where there was no way, foreshadowing and standing true to his character of who God is and what he does in our life when he steps in where there seems to be no way. And in doing so, God proves his faithfulness to fulfill his promise. His character is that he is trustworthy, that we can trust that he is faithful to fulfill what he says. He is not a liar. He fulfills his promises. Then, after God gives Abraham his promised son Isaac, God calls Isaac, or God calls Abraham to go up to the mountain and ask him to sacrifice Isaac. And you're like, this is awkward. How am I going to be a father of, of many nations and you're calling me to sacrifice my son? And then, but then once again, we see a foreshadowing of Jesus where God steps in and he provides a substitute for Isaac in the form of a ram. And again, God is faithful in his promise. And then we go to Genesis chapter 21, verse 28. And we see the life of Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And then Abraham's son Isaac is given the same promise that God gave to Abraham. That, the, that from that line, the world would be blessed. And Isaac married. 
And like his parents, they struggled to have kids. Him and Rebecca struggled to have kids. And once again, we see God step in and make a way to keep his promises. And so they had twins. Esau came first and then Jacob. And so in human understanding, as we would understand it, we would say, okay, the line is going to be carried on through Esau because he is the oldest. And that is the way that these things worked. But... God tells Isaac's wife, Rebekah, that the blessing would continue through the weaker and the younger son, Jacob, not Esau. And so Jacob, with the help of his mother, lies to his brother, Messi, lies to his father, steals the birthright and the blessing from his older brother. Are you starting to see the soap opera that is the Old Testament? And you can be sitting here going, wait a second, okay. So like God, God like used lying and stealing and, and, and a trickster. Or what, like what is going on? And we see in Romans chapter 9 what is happening here. Romans chapter 9 verse 10, it says this. The son, this son was our ancestor, Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purpose. He calls people, but not according to their good or their bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God is unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy on anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. God is using the story of Jacob and Esau to show us that it is not by human works. Being welcomed into God's family, being accepted into God's family is about God's mercy and his love. It is not about how good or how bad you are. It is the fact that God is good and God keeps his promises. And he says to those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about our works foreshadowing the truth and the story of who Jesus is. So God uses the line of Jacob to carry on this promise of the blessing. God fulfills his promises in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense. And it's a little messy. So then Jacob runs away from his brother after his dad dies because his brother wants to kill him. And then we move into Genesis chapter 28 through 36, which uh, if we didn't have enough mess and drama, I call this Jacob's baby mama drama. It's not in any biblical textbooks. Uh, it's because I'm a youth pastor. There you go. Jacob, per his father's request, goes to Laban, his family member, to find a wife. And he sees Rachel, Laban's younger daughter. And he's like, va va boom. It's in the biblical text. It's Hebrew. <laughs> Laban tells Jacob, you work for me for seven years and you can have my daughter. Jacob works for seven years. He takes his new wife into the tent. They have checkers, play checkers. Only to wake up the next day and realize that Laban had tricked him and gave Rachel's older sister, Leah, yikes. And so he has to work seven more years so that he can marry Rachel. But then Rachel, the wife of Jacob, who he really loved, she could not have kids. Sound familiar? But Leah could. So she has four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. But then Rachel realizes that she, as she can't have kids, she convinces Jacob to play checkers with her servant Bila, and she has Dan and Naphtali. But not to be outdone by her sister, Leah convinces Jacob to play checkers with her servant Zilpha, and who has Gad and Asher. And then God gives Leah two more kids, Issachar and Zebulon, and we're starting to sound like a homeschool family. I, I can make that joke. I was homeschooled, okay? 
you're angry, jkirsch at edinburghchurch.org, okay? And then God intervened. God stepped in and provided Rachel with Joseph and Benjamin, which brings us to the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37 through 50. It's no wonder that Joseph's brothers were able to sell him into slavery because think about the ton of family baggage that we have. And Joseph, he goes through the ringer. And so Joseph is sold off for silver. Sound familiar? So was Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's a painting this picture, a typology of Jesus. And he's sold to Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife wants to, you guessed it, play checkers with Joseph. But he's righteous and he denies the advances. But even though he was righteous, even though he didn't sin in that situation, he was still falsely accused and he was thrown into jail. Sound familiar? Falsely accused, even though he was innocent? It's Jesus. Then he's sent to jail, but God gives him a chance to interpret, interpret dreams in jail. And then they find out that Potiphar or Pharaoh is having these dreams and he needs interpreted. And God provides a way where there seemed to be no way to rescue Joseph, to bring him. And he comes and he interprets the dream of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, you are put in charge. You are now my second in command. But through all of this, hear me when I say this, okay? This story is not about how if you trust God, if you do the right thing, he will rise you up and you will become a ruler. Listen, there are, there are good things that we can learn from the life of Joseph, but that is not ultimately the story and what the purpose of the story is. The story is about God stepping in and providing salvation for his people that so desperately need it. And it's about fulfilling his promises. That is what the story, that is what the constant theme all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament is. And so Joseph, he prophesies that there's going to be this famine and so Pharaoh says, okay, take care of it. And so he, for seven years of plenty, he saves up and, and is responsible. And then in the seven years of famine, Egypt is, is flourishing because of, of God blessed Joseph and he brought rescue. But God wasn't done bringing rescue. In the turn of events, these brothers come to this second-in-command man who they don't realize is their brother. And they stand before him in Egypt whom they had sold into slavery years before. God's people were hopeless. They were starving. And they needed salvation. So God raised up a way where there seemed to be no way. And he rescued his people. Are we seeing this? Are we seeing the theme? He rescues his people. God used Joseph and all of the mess and all of the difficulties to rescue his people. And so Joseph reveals to his brothers that it's him, Joseph. And that he would help them and that he would rescue them. And there's this beautiful moment at the end of Joseph's life in chapter 50. Starting in verse 14, it says this. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. For now that their father died, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show us his anger and pay us back for the wrong that we did, they said. So they sent a message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong that they had done. For their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, your father, beg you to forgive our sins. When Joseph received this message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came to him, threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, do not be afraid of me. 
Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, do not be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. And friends, listen to me. This is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus stands in as our salvation. He stands in our place. He is our rescue. We don't have to throw ourselves down at his feet like slaves. He calls us children of God because, we, because of Jesus. We can confidently come before God. It says in Ephesians 3.12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently come into God's presence. When there seemed to be no way, through Jesus on the cross, he made a way where there was no way. And now we can boldly and confidently come before God. So what about Judah and Tamar? Why is this in the middle of Joseph's story? I believe it is a reminder to us that God is faithful to keep his promises. Some of you are sitting here in this room and you are struggling to trust that God is faithful to keep his promises, but he is. It's a reminder of how desperate we need, we have this need for salvation and redemption. Listen, Judah was messed up. Can we agree? He wanted to kill his brother. So he ended up selling him into slavery. He lied to his father. Then he had wicked children. And he lied to the widowed daughter-in-law that he would provide for her, but then he didn't. Then he played checkers with a temple prostitute who turned out to be his daughter-in-law in disguise. You're like, hmm, sounds like a criteria for a pastor. No! It's messed up! You're like, yikes! But God was not done with Judah. And Joseph, as Joseph was testing his brothers, so back up a little bit into the story, into verse 44, as Joseph was testing his brothers... Joseph, what he wanted to do is he was going to keep his youngest brother, Benjamin, as like a payment or as a punishment for, for having to pay all this stuff. But they knew, they, they, they knew that they couldn't leave their brother Benjamin because their dad would, would be distraught over this. And we see here, Judah is the one who speaks up for his brothers here in Genesis. Genesis chapter 44, verse 33, it says, So please, my lord. Let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return to his brothers. What's happening here? What's happening is Judah is taking the place. He's saying, let me be a substitute. And it's painting this picture of what Jesus is going to do. Why is this significant? Why is this significant? Because it's fulfilling of God's promise that through these lines, the world would be blessed. And guys, do you know from the lineage of Judah... From Judah's line, we get his great, 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 great grandson. The man by the name of David. A young boy who went down to battle and faced a giant as a substitute for God's people. Are you seeing this thread? He stood in the place to be that momentary rescue for God's people. And from the line of David, we go on and on, and we come to Matthew chapter 1, where we find this genealogy of Jesus Christ. And from that line, we trace it to Jesus, all the way back to Judah, all the way back to Abraham, where God fulfills this promise that he would be, that from Abraham, the line would be a blessing to this world. Jesus, our rescue and our salvation Thus fulfilling God's promise that through the line, he would bless the world. 
Guys, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And we get this ultimate sacrifice through what Jesus did. We get salvation through Jesus. What is the point of Judah and Tamar? It's the same exact point all throughout all of Scripture. And it all points to Jesus. It all points us to our need for salvation and how it's not about our goodness or what we do, but the fact that God can take anything and everything and use it for his purpose and to fulfill his promises. It points us to Jesus. And so, friends, do you think your past, your family background, do you think your life is too messed up for God to redeem, for God to use you? <laughs> Look at the thread. Look at the thread all throughout the Old Testament. We read it, and it's like, this is uncomfortable. These are not the people I would choose to be the heroes of my story. They'd be the heroes of the story. But it's all meant to bring us to the foot of the cross. You're not too far gone. Your life is not too messed up. The purpose of the entire Bible is to draw you and me to Jesus at the foot of the cross. If you pull and you pull on the thread of the Bible all throughout, it pulls us up and it's tied to this man named Jesus hanging on the cross where he shouts, It is finished! It is finished. Through the line of Abraham comes the blessing for the entire world. He shouts, it is finished, and it's the moment where all of these pictures of God making a way where there seems to be no way, when God provides the ram for Isaac, when God is calling Jacob to show us that it's not about our own strength, when God is rising up Joseph to rescue his people, where God is redeeming Judah, where God is calling David to be a substitute for the people of Israel, all of it is meant to bring us to Jesus. It is the culmination and the fulfillment of God's promises. It's the thread through the entire Bible. Genesis up to Jesus, Jesus up through the New Testament, all points back to Jesus. That is the point. That is the purpose of the Bible. So if you hear anything here today, if you hear any of this, no matter what, everyone can come to Jesus and find rescue. Everyone. If you're here this morning and you're like, I need this rescue, God, I need this. I need, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he takes our sin and he makes a way for us to be restored with God when there seems to be no way. Listen to this, Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved as the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile, that's the world, blessings are in the same, are, are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Your life is not too messed. My life, the fact that I'm standing up here preaching to you on a stage talking about Jesus is a testament of this to be true. Everyone. God can use everyone. God wants to use you. Your life is not too messed up. You're not too far gone. God wants to use you. 
It doesn't always make sense. It looks a little messy at times. But guess what? So does life. And God is in the business of using broken people for his glory. Are you messed up? Welcome to the family. God wants to redeem you. He wants to use you. He wants to rescue you. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I, I want that. I, I want to do, do something a little crazy because I'm the youth pastor and that's what we do. If you're sitting here and maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never said, I, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want him to be the rescue of my life. Or maybe you're sitting here and going, man, I've been distracted. I've gone off the rails. I've gone, I mean, not quite Judah level, but like I've gone off the rails and I need to come back. And I need Jesus to be my salvation, to be my rescue. I need to come back to him. I, I want to do something a little bit crazy. And, and as we, we, we go into these last two worship songs, I want to invite the prayer team to the front. Normally we do this at the end of our service and invite you down to pray. But I want to invite our prayer team to come down the front and I'm going to be down at the front. And if you are sitting here and you're feeling during worship that God is moving you to take a step of boldness, to openly declare, to come down and step down in front, I want to invite you down to the front to come and be prayed for. It could be for salvation for the first time and say, I need this rescue. Or it could be, I'm coming back to Jesus. I'm done living this, this, this messed up way. I want to come back to Jesus. There is no judgment as you walk down these aisles. That's not what our church is about. We're not looking there and going, mm, I wonder what their sin is. No, we're saying, yes, Jesus is changing another life, and we want to invite you into that life change, and we want people down here to come. And so prayer team, if you guys can come up to the front, surprise, we didn't talk about this, sorry. Uh, but if you guys could come down to the front, and if you want to come down and be prayed for, or you say, I want, I want Jesus, I want to invite you down through these next two songs, wherever you're at, Wherever you're at, you're not too far gone. God is not sitting here going, I can't use that. He's saying, come, come to me, you who are weary and weak, and I will give you rest. God wants to rescue you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to bring you new life. And so if you want to take that step, I invite you to come down during these songs. But as we do that, as I pray, would you stand as we get ready to worship God? the God who is worthy because he fulfills our promises. God, I pray that you, you would do what only you can do. Spirit, would you move in this room? Would you move in this place, God, so that you would be glorified? God, pierce the hearts, change hearts, God, because that's what you're about. You're about redeeming and restoring and renewing people to yourself. God, I pray that anybody that's in this room that is on the fence of whether or not they should come down, I pray that they would come down and they would seek prayer. No shame, no guilt. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We come, it says that if we give our lives to you, we will not be disgraced. And so God, would you do what only you can do, God? We pray this in your name.